Welcome to the MCA All-Star Podcast, where we talk about all things operations so you can build the best real estate brokerage in this ever-changing industry. Today, we've got a great interview lined up for you, where we learn from one of the top operational leaders in the game. So break open your notebook, sit back, and enjoy the show. All right. Uh, well, I'm really excited because today we have the amazing Rachel Watson. Uh, and yeah, Rachel, um, you know, we, we kind of got to know each other a little bit as coaches. Um, and I've heard you talk a little bit about some of the investment projects that you have going on. Um, I was looking at your white pages. I see that you've got a general manager designation. I know you're also a regional MCA. Um and so, you know, one of the reasons that I was interested in having you come on is because I think you're just, you're a great example of opportunities in the MCA world. And I think a lot of MCAs kind of have that question of, you know, what's, what's available to me and how do I create or how do I step into opportunity? So thank you for uh, coming on and uh, yeah, tell us a little bit about your journey. Like, were there any roles that I missed? What? Who are you? Yeah. Well, first off, thank you for having me on today. It's an honor. Um, so I've been with Keller Williams uh, six years, and it was in September. Uh, I came from a whole different background, so I had no knowledge of real estate. Um, I started out as our team leader's executive assistant in our market center through a LinkedIn ad. Um, it said detail organized and likes to run schedules, and I was like, you betcha, that's me. Um, so I came in as our team leader's executive assistant, and then shortly after, transitioned into the MCA role. And it's funny, whenever the MCA role was presented to me, it was, hey, do you want this opportunity? And the only understanding of the MCA role I had was closed doors at the beginning of every month. You had no flexibility and you're always tied to your desk. And I thought, Ugh, do I really want this? Um, and at the time, I never wanted to say no to an opportunity. So I stepped into that role. And truthfully, it was the catalyst to everything else that I'm a part of now. Um, and I was in the MCA role a little over five years. And at the beginning of this year, I stepped into our market center's general manager role. Wow. So my right now, I'm our general manager. We have about 450 agents in our market center. Um, we're about a sprinkle. Missouri. Um, I'm a regional MCA in the Mid-American region, which is 21 offices in Illinois and Indiana. I'm a MAPS leadership coach, uh, but then I also have personal investments that my husband and I handle, um, and we've just recently started a foundation in our community and a women's connection group as well. So a little awesome. bit of everything. Uh, wow. So I think the first question is, how do you do all of that? <laughs> like you've got, you know, I heard you mention in some of those roles you stepped out of, right? But there's still, you've got multiple roles right now, like today. How would you say, like, how do you do that? Well, I give all the thanks to Keller Williams. For do you ever sleep? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a big question. People are like, so how much coffee do you actually drink in a day? Yeah. Um, I have to make sure I limit myself on that. But um, Keller Williams has taught me everything. It's There's a system, it's a tool, or it's a person. And so really, as I look at everything, it comes from 
Is it on my calendar? And am I time blocking for it? But recently in this last year, I've actually hired a part-time EA to help me. She's in person. She's a college student. And now I'm able to bring her into the world of Keller Williams, took her through the whole KPA process. I understand her motivational interview and she's helped me come in and help do the 80% so I can focus on the 20%. Mm. And I learned all of that through just going through the leverage series and being around top agents and even my operating principal, he runs a large team, seeing how they run their lives and just mm. modeling that in mind. I love that. Uh, so, so you actually did find leverage, um, and um, I want to, I do want to go back and and ask you something about, you know, when you first started as the MCA. But before that, you know, one of the things I hear a lot from MCAs who are really good at what they do is some some of that struggle of letting things go, right? Especially if you've got high standards, and I know you're someone who has high standards. Is that something that you struggled with? I mean, now you've got an EA who's helping you, like, how did you do that? Oh, I still struggle with it to this okay. day. Um, and it's a matter of empowering her to come to me and say, what else do you need? Let me help you. I'm here for a reason. Um, but in the MCA role, it was really hard. And my biggest lesson I learned in the MCA role is that it's the team you build around you and how you can help build a bigger opportunity for them. And so I was fortunate enough that a lot of people on our leadership team still to this day I've hired. And so we've been together multiple years where we've built that trust. And if I pass it to them, I know and trust that they have it and vice versa. Um, and so I've been really fortunate in that opportunity. Um, but with the MCA role, it's hard because your operations, your financials, your culture keeper, your retention aspect, sometimes you're an event planner too, and the list goes on and on. And so you're really just switching the hats every single day when you show up or even every hour for that moment. And so the biggest thing is just understanding that when I show up, I'm here. I'm doing everything I can do to get the job done to the best of my ability. And I also know I have a family at home that I'm going to go to, and I have to make sure there's boundaries. Easier said than done. And I went through that stage where I didn't have those boundaries. And looking back now, it it was hard to navigate that time. Um, and knowing I can go to my OP, to my TL, to my MCA at this point and say, hey, I need help with this. I need, can you help insist, assist in this? So it's always a yes. And it's that team mentality. And so just really navigating that has been, it's okay to ask for help. And when you ask for help, that's a sign of maturity. And that's a sign of being a leader because when you think you have it all and no one else can do it better, that's when you're slowly losing. And it takes from being able to leverage that to realize that's where the true team and growth happens. I love that. So I, I, uh, I heard you mention when you were talking about, you know, your journey from your team leaders, excuse me, your team leader's assistant to becoming the MCA. Um, and the one thing I'm curious about, this is going to sound so silly, but did you have an accounting background before you did that or like? No, um, my mark, my major was in marketing and entertainment management. And it's funny, okay. my mom was in an accounting role in her job. And when I thought about this, I was like, Ugh, I don't want to do this. That wasn't my favorite classes in college to take either. So it was interesting going into the role saying, okay, I know I have this gap and will I be able to meet that? Yeah. Um, and I actually took, you know, refreshed my knowledge on accounting, accounting for dummies, the book, got it from Amazon yeah. just to make sure I was still in line with my college yeah. classes. 
Um, and then I, you know, a lot of the stuff in the MCA role, I had to self teach myself because our MCA was like, no. and so I was stuck to the role. And the only person that could train me, she was a former MCA. Now she's a director of operations on a high level team. The only time she could train me was when she was done with her job. And sometimes that would be 10 o'clock at night and we would be sitting in our market center and she'd be teaching me and I was trying to take it all in and learn. Um, and so that was kind of my experience of jumping into the MCA role and, you know, looking at that point, I was like, wow, this is a lot. There's a lot that yep. goes into it. And it wasn't, I didn't, you know, the saying Rome wasn't built in a day. The MCA role wasn't built in a day and learning each of those processes. It's yep. just taking it day by day, chunking it down. I love that. I think um, you know, the reason I wanted to ask you that um, is because I think I think there are I see that a lot of times where there are people who are you know they're kind of either voluntold like hey we need an MCA um, and we think you're really talented so like you know come step in and, and fill in this role um, and I think it's important to hear that like here you are you're now the the general manager you you're a leadership coach right you're regional MCA. And you're someone who actually stepped in and you didn't have that accounting experience. Now, it doesn't mean that you, you know, you didn't fill that gap where you needed to, right? You invested in courses, you've invested in books, you found other resources, people who could help you along the way. But I think, I think that just says a lot there that, um, that that's, that's a hurdle that you found a way to overcome. Yeah. So, and I think that's um, a lot of the perception is that if I don't have a financial background, I won't be a successful MCA. And truthfully, when I stepped into the role, my main goal was to never have my door shut during transmittal, mm. uh, to show that transmittal can be done through soft closes and with following your systems and your checklist, that it's not a scary thing and to remove that scariness from our agents. And so by removing that, the other part was I didn't want to be seen as the person in this role that sat behind her desk every day. Hmm. One of the things I noticed on the KW opportunity map was when you looked at the MCA box, there wasn't a lot of lines that went off of it or no lines actually. Hmm. And I wanted to change that. And I had people in my world as I was becoming an MCA that that's when Rebecca Rose was an MCA too. And Kelly Cody was an MCA and I got to be on calls with them and hear from them. And so it pushed me even more to say, I want to create lines off that opportunity map. And I want to be an MCA that's seen as a leader, not just as an accounting or a bookkeeper or a check cutter, because MCAs are so much more than that. And it takes the first step of believing in yourself that you are more than that person. And then you're going to be able to show everybody else on your leadership team and your agents that you are that leader. I love that. And, and what I heard in that too is it's, hey, there may be a box that exists. Your job as a leader is to say, forget the box. I'm actually going to create my own box or I'm going to, I'm going to create my own lines. Right. And and I think that's, that's powerful pe for people to hear because sometimes we look at what's already there and we say, this is what I'm limited to. And you actually said, Nope, I'm going to go create it. Right. And it's so. not a bad thing to stay in that box or the MCA role. It's, you know, and it's what, and can you add in? I was an MCA when I started investing into real estate. So it wasn't that I had to get out of that role to make that first step. I yeah. think it's just, this is the role. And if it brings you joy, amazing. Let's tap into that. And what else can you do with your gifts? Love that. Awesome. Okay. So tell us a little bit about, <clears throat> you were an MCA, you had to, you know, study accounting, you had to learn from, uh, from others to kind of fill some of those gaps there. 
and yet you had some you had some serious goals going in, right? You wanted agents to see you as not just behind your desk every day. You didn't want to have your doors shut, right? So what did it take, you feel like, to accomplish all of those things at such a high level that you, you know, like you said, now became a MAPS coach, became regional MCA? What did, what did that take um, from those initial days? Yeah, the first initial days, it was really about grace and understanding that the season that I'm in and learning is not always going to be the season I will be moving forward. I'll be in a new season in next year. And so giving myself grace that I didn't have to learn everything. And that's not my personality type. I want to know it all. I want to be able to master it and keep forward. And so the fact that I had to slow down a little bit more to just really take a breath and say, okay, this is what I need to conquer today to ensure I can do X, Y, and Z next. That was the biggest thing. Um, but then looking back, when I got into the role, it was just, how do I be a sponge to everything? I don't know what I don't know. Who are the people I can talk to, other MCAs, other market centers, but also our agents sitting down with them and saying, how can I support you? I think the biggest thing for an MCA to do is you have to make sure that you're in front of your agents and having consulting conversations. Hmm. You can work through the budget model. You can work through the economic model. You can work through each of those models out of the MREA and it's already laid out. It's just taking it and putting it in front of them because Keller Williams has so many amazing resources available to us. It's overwhelming at times for MCAs, but also agents. And so we can be the voice of saying, hey, you may have heard about this six months ago, but let me sit down with you and let me walk you through what it actually can do for you in your business. Mm. Walking them through the process of what leverage in their world looks like and how that can change their business. I've helped three or four agents in hiring an admin. And I sat in every portion of the CV process with them to help guide them because wow. I had the opportunity to attend the leverage series. And maybe at the time they didn't think it was valuable for them, but let me show them that value. And next time that class comes around, you better be there so you can see what I said and going to the class and understanding that value and matching it together. I love that. So that's the biggest thing is just getting in front of your agents. And at the end of the day, if your agents are paid and your lights are on, and you're retaining agents and you're still growing, right? Like that, that's all that matters. But the biggest thing is just agent connection on that mm. side of it. I love that. I, I heard what I heard you say in that too, is it's kind of like a, a show. Don't just tell like you can, mm. you can show and tell, but you have to make sure you're at least showing because if you're just telling, then it, at some point it's going to turn into white noise. Yeah. Um, How did you get started on that? Right? Like, was there ever a point where you, you know, maybe had self-doubt or thought like, I've never done this before. Is anybody even going to want to sit down and go through this with me? Like, what was yeah, that like uh, for you? So many days and still to this day, right? Yeah. I am not a mega producer. Uh, my husband has a sales team, but I'm not that agent. So why would a top agent want to sit down with me and let me help coach them on their business when I maybe haven't bought and sold a hundred houses? Um, so there's big imposter syndrome right there. And it just comes from, you have to break it down that like in the PL, right? Most agents or some agents, I should say, maybe don't even know the first step of creating an LLC or that they need to open up a business bank account or what a profit and loss looks like. So creating that for them and saying, hey, I have this system and tool here that I think would be really beneficial for you. Are you interested in sitting down and talking about it? It's just step one. And if you can master in the MCA world, the budget model, right? Because that's what we have to do all the time in looking at a market center. 
that correlates to an agent team, just like an agent team correlates to a market center. And so if you can talk market center language, you can talk agent language. And if anything, start in a lower producing category, maybe do the mighty middle or the newer agents that are coming in when a lot of them don't know what they don't know and build your confidence that way to where you're starting at the new agents. And then you go to your cappers and then you're going to your mega agents and your confidence will slowly build. And by you showing value, they're going to tell all the agents in the market center, hey, you need to meet with Rachel. Mm -hmm. She can really help you get a tactical plan in your business on how to move it forward because she sat down and did the same thing with me and it's helped me so much. I love that. What what do you feel like were some of your biggest ahas the first couple of appointments you had with agents like that? You can't assume that they know the MREA. I mean, number one, you yeah. talk about it and you say the red book all the time and you talk about the models. You can't assume that they know it. And yeah. so as leaders, it's our job to bring clarity around that. And with everything in Keller Williams, just like the hiring process, how many agents you know that are talking about hiring that are just going to put an ad out on Indeed and then do one interview with them and then hire the right person or they think they're hiring the right person. Some may get lucky, some may not, but you just can't assume. And so when I go into it, the 26 needs analysis questions, I think are really beneficial. Pulling their multi-year trends. I pulled an agent's multi-year trends with the 26 needs analysis And I could see between 2020 and 2021, there was a dip in her production. And I asked, tell me about that. Why why in 2020 did you do 60 units? And in 2021, you only did 45. And in that answer, it was, I overworked myself in 2020 that my family needed to come first. And that was the decision I made. How cool is that though? Thank you for recognizing And thank you for owning that. But then when you saw in her numbers, it went from 2021 to 2022, she had extreme growth and it's almost closing hundred units. I said, so what was the change there? She said, I hired an admin. I finally took mm-hmm. your advice and did it. Wow. Like that is the meaningful, it only takes one agent to feel like you're making an impact and yeah. having that story. This is why I should keep doing it. This is yeah. why I need to consult agents. I love that. I hear sometimes, you know, there, there's a hesitation from people to ask questions like that because it feels like maybe we're being judgmental or, you know, maybe we're, we're making them feel wrong because their business is down. Like, how did you overcome that and just say, like, I'm just going to ask the question. It comes from trust first. So Mm -hmm. ensuring that the agent that I'm meeting with knows that they can trust me. They can tell me some things that maybe are embarrassing and it's not going to be spread. And I'm going to meet them where they're at and help them create a plan so they can have the life they want. And a lot of the times agents, sometimes when they think Keller Williams, they think, oh, I have to have this massive business, this big team, high production, but really they got into real estate so they could be at all their kids' functions. They could have money to go and do the extras in their family. And that's perfect. Like, I love those people because I want to help you create your life by design, whatever that looks like. And whether you want to sell 10 units, you want to sell 50, you want to sell 100, great. We have a plan for that. I just need to know where I can meet you at. And once we've that trust, then we can work to that plan. And then it just comes from, Hey, how can I help you? I know we talked about this last week. Is anything popped up? Just like in our schedule, things get derailed all the time. You have your list and then it's got a minute. You got a minute, you got a minute. And then, you know, a hundred minutes later, you have no time. (laughs) So it's the same way with an agent and more so than ever agents need community. 
they need to feel cared for and they need to know that they have someone on the market center leadership team that cares just as much about their business as they do. Mm. I love that. And I, I think the the key there too, is that it can't just be the team leader, right? Cause you guys, you know, you didn't have a small office, right? Um, so if we talk about percentages, right? Top 20% in a 400 agent office is that, you know, what is that 80 agents? And their team leaders recruiting, right? <laughs> so, um, so yeah, can't just be the team leader. So, I think that's a great point, and it bring it begs the question of that's a lot. Four hundred <laughs> agents, right? You're the MCA. You you have a lot of things to do, even just as the MCA. Um, so, how'd you do all of that? There was a sense of ownership. Um, the team leader and I, they have to be partners. Right. And even the OP, like we, my OP, um, we have a phenomenal relationship and our team leader, we came with an understanding of like, it's not just your job. It may be your lane, but it's not your entire responsibility. It's the entire team responsibility to help grow, to help retain, to be a part of those conversations. Now, my lane may be that I'm working forward on the actual steps to get us moving forward, but everybody's responsible. And at times it can be hard, right? Because you're looking at your list and you're saying, how do I have time to add this into it? Mm -hmm. But a lot of our conversations on our team, it's if we don't have agents, we don't have jobs. And we're here to help our agents build the business that they are going to build. It's success through others. If they are thriving, we are going to thrive. Mm -hmm. And so how much can we add value into these agents' lives every day? And it doesn't mean it has to be this big thing. It's just the 1% better rule, right? Like how yeah. can I see a resource and think of an agent of a conversation I just had two weeks ago and being, hey, I just saw this and I thought of you, you should really mm -hmm. look into it. And so it's just breaking it down that way. And it, and it can be overwhelming. I think what was worked best for us is we have followed the DTD2 list out of bold. Mm -hmm. So every Thursday in our stand-up huddles, our DFI, she brings a list of said, okay, here's your call list for the day or for the week. And this is where it's broken out into and we each call, we everybody has a list and it's not broken down into team leaders only top 20%. Mm. It's not only MCA in the mighty middle, it's we want everybody to feel connected and have a relationship with every single person on our leadership team. Because mm. also if that one person on the leadership team is gone, we may not have as strong as a relationship with that agent as what we thought we did. Yeah. Did you ever have a moment going through lists like that where you felt like, you know, this isn't, this doesn't matter, right? Like the agents don't care about this. I'm getting a bunch of voicemails anyway. Like did, did that ever come up for you? Oh yeah. And yeah. Um, one of the things that we do also is cards, handwritten cards. So if we see something on our agent's Facebook page that they share, happy or sad, we're doing a card. Um, we're all signing it and we're giving it to them. And I can't tell you in the last two weeks, we've probably had four agents post a picture of their card on their social media of, wow, wow. this so much that my brokerage cared to do this for me. Hmm. And so the same matter of you may not see the immediate result or the gratification of, yes, I helped someone or yes, I did it. And over time, you're going to see it. You're going to have those agents saying, wow, thank you for reaching out. I know I didn't answer and I probably have three voicemails from you, but I still listen to them and it yeah. still let me know that you cared. And so it's one of those things that you just have to trust the process of knowing I am, I'm trying and I'm putting that effort and they're going to hear from me. They may not respond and that's okay, but at least they know I care and I've reached yeah. out. 
Yeah, it's it's kind of funny, right? Because that's exactly what we tell our agents to do, isn't it? Right. <laughs> exactly. It's like, yeah, you're just you're reaching out to your database, and it doesn't mean that every person that you call or reach out to has an immediate need right then or there. Yet when they do, who do they think of? Right. Uh, so yeah, I love that. Um, so kind of what I'm hearing in that is like, yes, you're human too. You, like you and your team still had those same those same limiting beliefs that we all experience. And yet you just, you just committed to the process and said, Hey, this, if we're consistent in this, then it's going to give us that return. And in, in so doing right, that, that one simple activity, it creates the return because your agents are as a whole more productive. Right. Mm -hmm. And so when your agents are more productive, you can hire the leverage or right. Those, those other things that free up your time, right? So, and then transparency, it's not all sunshine and rainbows. Like, mm. by doing this, it doesn't mean that we're retaining every single agent. I, we actually just lost um, a capper yesterday that I'm still like processing right now. And through conversations, it's man, where did we fall short? How could mm. we, did we do something that we lost this person? Because for us and me specifically, each of those agents, that's a relationship with them. Like yeah. I know their kids' names. I know their dogs' names. I know their lives. And when you go through something like that, it almost shocks your system of thinking, okay, where did it go wrong? And can we go back to the drawing board? And our MCA today made the best example. He goes, yes, we may have lost one, but we still have 450 more agents we need to make sure that they feel cared for. Mm. And so it's that reminder that unfortunately at times you're not going to be all things to all people. And sometimes people will choose to exit getting out of business with you yeah. and as hard as it is you just have to say okay how can we improve what is our gaps and maybe our systems or where did we go wrong and what do we need to do to ensure that we're better next time and that our agents still feel cared for even if unfortunately this one we may have missed the mark on yeah i think that's a great point um yeah so so it sounds like you know you still experience losses in in terms of you know agents deciding to leave um, and it sounds like the way you work past that is, you, you know, you just take that opportunity to, to learn from it if you can, um, and then to reset and say like, all right, what do we still have? Right. Yeah. And so. that's, you just always have to regroup as a team. Um, I know this morning in our morning huddle, it was okay, let's talk about this. Cause I know other team members are saying what's going on. And so let's recognize those emotions. Let's talk about it as a team and let's make a plan to move forward. Hmm. Um, same thing we're doing in everything, like even our GPS, right? So we look at that every single Monday and know where we failed and where our opportunities are to make it better. We look at that an hour long and it's a constant conversation, just like retention in your office needs to be a constant conversation, just like growth needs to be. And everybody is involved. Even if you have your lane, it's a, it's one team. And if not everybody on the team sees that, then you need to get an alignment on that before you can move forward. I love that. Um, all right. So, so one of the things that, um, has helped you sort of, uh, be successful in the MCA role is just leaning into, to, to education, right. Learning and just, every, you know, identifying the gaps that you have and, and finding education and training that's going to fill that. And then it also sounds like that commitment to your customers, which are the agents, um, and making sure that they're having, that they're getting everything they want out of the office, um, and that you're putting them first, um, anything else 
that you would say has created the success that you saw or or are seeing um, in the MCA role? The biggest thing and piece of advice I would give to other MCAs is get into the rooms that you want to be in. Hmm. I think truly Keller Williams has changed my life. Um, looking back at my motivational interview when I joined to my motivational interview now is night and day. And all of it comes from the conversations of training and education from Keller Williams. And so even if it's in your top 20% mastermind, find a way to be in that room so you can hear from your agents, because I guarantee there's going to be something said in that room that you can use to coach another agent in, in your consulting conversations. Or if you have the opportunity to go to family reunion or mega camp, those are your times where you get to meet so many high minded individuals. And if you just have coffee with them, like, hey, can I take you to coffee for 30 minutes and just pick your brain? I want to learn from you because I know that don't have it all figured out and I never will have it all figured out. And if I can learn, it's only going to help sharpen my tool belt and the skills that I bring back to my market center. So find a way to get into those rooms and just meet as many people as possible to build those connections. I love that. Yeah. I mean, hearing you say that it's no surprise to me that your agents actually set appointments with you and, and are willing to sit down and consult with you because you're always thinking, Hey, this is, even though this is training that may exist for agents, I'm going to hear something that I can share with one of my agents. And by doing that, you're actually becoming the expert, right? You're becoming someone that has value to add in those, in those conversations. So I love that. And you're building community within your agents. And if you come to me and say, yeah, I'm thinking about doing open houses. Oh my goodness. I have four agents right now that I'll get you connected with. So you can shadow them for their next open house so you can learn from them. And so I don't have to know all the information. I just need to know the agents that are rock stars and the things that they do. And I can be the connecting point. And then that builds a community because I need uh, our agents to connect with each other, not just with the leadership. They need to have an agent to agent connection too. I love that. That's awesome. Okay. Yeah. So, so getting yourself in the room, finding a way to do that. Um, I think that's really smart being the connector. Um, all right. So I, I kind of want to talk about opportunity. So um, like I said, you know, you were MCA, became a, a MAPS leadership coach, became the regional MCA. Now you're a general manager. Like what was it that you feel like either created those opportunities? Like, where did those come from for you? I think it's twofold. One, uh, my operating partner, um, he's phenomenal. Uh, truly, I, by being in his world, it's made me better. And so I always, I never want to leave his world because it's only magnified mine. Um, the other thing is when I was in high school, my marketing teacher had this above her door and it was, do what you say you're going to do when you say you're going to do it. And being an integrator in my role, it's if I say I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it to the fullest effect. And if my feet are in this role, you know, that's where I'm going to be 100%. I don't give anything less. And I think as I've been navigating these different opportunities, not every opportunity is where you can give 100%. And so you have to reflect on why can't I and is this the right opportunity? Because I think we hear the word opportunity. It sounds big and shiny. And there's always a learning moment in it. It may just not be your forever opportunity. And so being able to see that, but also really having a true partner of an operating partner and say, hey, 
how can I make your world better? Because I know if he grows, I grow. Um, and so just really playing into that. Um, but at the end of the day, if we just have to be like, we just have to show up as leaders. If we're showing up as a leader, if we're showing up as saying, we don't have it all figured out, but I'm here to learn, then that's the best place you can be in. It's when we stop growing or stop willing to learn and be the sponge that you feel like you've made it. And realistically, you'll see people come around and you're like, oh, I didn't even know that because there's so much going on in the MCA world. So many market centers operating at so many high levels and everybody does it differently. Yeah. So just continuing to learn from each of those MCAs to see how you can make your market center better. And that's only going to in turn create more opportunity for yourself. I love that. Something you said, I, I don't remember where this comes from. I think um, I think it's actually Mike Bastian uh, who shared this with me, but he always used to say, find out who you're a wealth determiner for and then just make it make it your job to make them as much wealth as you possibly can because if you do that then they will do everything in their power like they will do everything to make sure that they're creating enough opportunity for you because otherwise you go somewhere else right exactly and you see it in quantum leap that's part of it one of my favorite sayings is you are the sum of the five people you spend your most time with. So who in your world are you spending the most time with? And are they where you want to be? Um, you know, I've always been told dress for the job that you want, not for the job that you have, but that's showing up the same way. So where do you want to be and how are you showing up? And is it for your current role or for where you want to go? And if you're showing up where you want to go, you're going to start making progress towards that. Mm. And so as you're looking at that and you're saying, okay, who do I determine wealth for? Then those are people you should be having conversations with all the time and saying, how can I support you? How can, what are you struggling with that maybe I can take off your plate? Just like when I hired and I'm telling my EA, hey, empower me, or I'm going to empower you to come to me and say, hey, that's not your job. Like, let me help you. So you can go and do the dollar producing roles to help me be in this role. It's the same way. Um, the book Rocket Fuel, The Visionary and the Integrator, it's a great book to own a way to read about it and visualize of what that looks like and how you can be that person. I love that. So what would you say, you know, to someone listening who they may not have an office that's, that's as big as yours, or they, they may not feel like they're necessarily, you know, with a, an ownership group or, or a leadership team that has a big vision. What would you say to someone in, in a situation like that? What should they be doing? The first step I would say is reach out to other MCAs in your region. Um, if you don't feel like you have that and you don't feel like you have the community, the first step is for you to take that step and go build that community. Reach out to other MCAs and start having conversations with them. Um, this community is like one of the best communities I've ever been a part of because MCAs, we get it. Not a lot of people get the role. Not a lot of people understand the struggles that we go with on a daily basis. And sometimes it feels lonely and we're on an island. But if I can reach out to another MCA and say, hey, I'm going through this, can you be the person to talk to? And they say, yes, great. Then start building that community. And I think through that and through conversations, you'll start seeing the direction that you wanna go. And then maybe it's just, you need to find a better way to communicate how you're feeling to your OP, to your TL. Sometimes we may not be the best communicators and we keep everything in. And then when we have the conversation, it's just like spewing it everywhere and nothing makes sense. And your OP or TL is this like Heidi personality of like what happened and 
are you wanting me to fix this or did you just vent? And so being able to have that person that you can bounce those things off with will mm. give you a more clarity on what your next steps will be. And there were times that I felt like, man, I am not growing. I am at a dead end road. What am I going to do? And a lot of the times when I reflected on that, it I found that I wasn't showing up or I had more DNA in, in it than I thought I did. Mm. And I want change. I have to be the person to start that change and to have those conversations. And Fierce Conversations is a great book. I love the confrontation script out of there. You're able to clearly communicate on a piece of paper what you're feeling and in 60 seconds or less communicate it to that person you're going to have the conversation with and just say, I know I have issues in this. I want to hear what your thoughts are. Let's have a conversation. Yeah. And then it just goes from there. I love that. Uh, I also think it's great that I think that's like the second book that you've recommended. Um, so just going back to how we started this call, which was you found a resource, you found some way to educate yourself for any of the gaps that you saw. And I think that's the theme that's coming up for me around this, uh, just around this conversation is, you know, identify where you want to go, identify what your gaps in knowledge are, and then just go learn that stuff. Right. Yeah. Like you said, yeah. so right like put yourself in that room right i love that yeah my uh coach brad when he was my coach for the mca um he had me do this exercise the seven circles out of the one thing and he had me write down in each circle where i would rate myself today and what a 10 would look like in each of those circles mm. and i did that exercise october of 2020 and it's so crazy to look back and see those circles now and what I wrote in my circles just last week in our team advance and the growth that I had but I think the growth came from writing it down and creating clarity of what I wanted mm. because a lot of the times we may not exactly know what we want or we want our world to look like and so the first step is to write it down where do you see yourself five years from now the motivational exercise out of the KPA what would that look like and what would a 10 in each circle of your life look like and once you've been able to establish that now you have a path of where you need to go. Who do you need to talk to in order to get that path? What habits do we need to start creating? It allows you to at least move forward in each of those categories. I love that. Where for people who, you know, maybe they're familiar with the seven circles and maybe they've even gone through an exercise like that, but they're not, you know, they're, they're feeling maybe even disconnected. Where do you feel like people go wrong sometimes in that? Um. Well, I think it goes into Gary Keller's quote, you underestimate what you can do in two years and overestimate what you can do in five. Mm. And I think in the MCA personality, it may be overanalyzing or it has to be perfect before mm. it's like, before you feel like you can even make action toward it. And oh. that's sometimes what's happened to me is that I've got so caught in the details that it's almost analysis paralysis and I don't know how to move forward. Mm. And so I would just say, just take that first step. And it's habit stacking, right? We can start one thing. And what I found in the last six months is if I can nail my morning routine, the rest of my day is set up for success. And so by finding out that habit, I now have a better understanding of why it's so important. It's not just for physical health. It's not just for mental health. It's for my professional health as well, because I'm showing up as a better leader for our team. I'm showing up in a different way of feeling more empowered and helping make a difference in agents' lives. But it took from establishing where those where I rated myself in that circle and I wasn't nailing it. And then just by changing one aspect of my life, it's changing in all the other circles. I love that. 
Yeah, it's so true. I, I think that's one of the the biggest things that people, when they're setting goals, um, I just I just don't think that we necessarily i don't know if this is human nature or what but i just don't think that we necessarily think in terms of habits we're often mm -hmm. thinking in terms of that's the goal this is the activity i'm just going to do that we're not thinking like i need to build this habit so that eventually this will just be this will just be routine i won't even yeah. think about this right and uh, another limiting belief i had was i didn't feel like i was deserving of those goals I didn't feel like I was deserving of why should I feel like I can go and achieve all these things? What about me makes me feel like I'm so special? And the thing I have had to tell myself and through therapy and friends and coaching and all of that is like, why not you? Why are you not able to go and do this? Anybody else has the same opportunity. It's just a matter of if you believe in yourself and you take that first step to move forward in it. Yeah, I think that's such a great point, right? Because if you stop and think about that, you go, someone else is going to do this someone else is going to have this opportunity someone else is going to you know either own that beach house they're going to make that money they're going to do whatever it is right and you you kind of if you really allow yourself to go down that path then you have to ask yourself what makes them more deserving right mm -hmm. and the reality is anything that you would say is based on our perception right this is that bold law judging people on their outsides and judging yourself based on your insides right um mm -hmm. so yeah it's i think that's such a great point is just really reflecting on that and asking that you know asking yourself like why not me so i love that you have to write down those limiting beliefs and then you have to tell a partner and when you say it out loud you hear it and you go oh, I don't even like saying that because that sounds so silly. So once you find MCA, that's your community, share those limiting beliefs and say, this is why I don't feel like I'm deserving and let them just look at you kind of crazy and be like, those are silly. Why are you even saying those out loud for you to be like, you're right. I'm, I'm putting myself in this box and I don't need to put myself in this box and I can do it. I just need to believe in myself first. I love that. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So, um, any any other thoughts on creating opportunity in the MCA in the NCA world? I think it starts from writing down your goals. What do you want to do? What do you want your life to look like? Uh, for me, it's I don't want to ever have to tell my family no to an experience or mm. any life change that we have to go to because of lack of finances. And so that's what's fueled the investing side. That I know that by building up this wealth on this side of it, it's helping create this life that if my parents ever needed anything, we have money for it. We can help them or we have a place for them to live. Um, if someone in my life, a friend, a, a family member, a coworker ever said, hey, I need this, I never have to say no because it's a lack of resources on my side. And so that's what's really fueled. I, I just want the biggest life, not just for me to live this lifestyle, it's to help so many more people. Like we can create a foundation for people in our local community and help change more lives just by taking that step further. We can create a women's community group in our local area because there's a need for community and it helps people bring them together to move forward. So all of it's fueled and it came from just being around hearing Gary Keller, hearing Jason Abrams, hearing Mark King, hearing people in my market center on how real estate changed their lives. And that's what made me want to change mine and say, I, again, I can do it. If they can do it, I can do it. Why yeah. can't 
I just because I'm the MCA does not mean that I can't go out and buy investment properties. Yeah. You probably have a lot of agents in your market center that would be willing to help you buy that investment property um, or get yourself licensed and had it in a referral company so you can receive a referral. Um, there's so many different opportunities. It's just a matter of what do you want your life to look like, writing it out, telling somebody and taking that first step forward. I love that. So um, we we still have a little bit of time and I'd love to like tack on as a bonus, a little bit of your journey in investing, right? Because as you mentioned, you you own some investment properties. So tell us a little bit about that. How did you get started in that? What was that like? Yeah. So um, this is one of my favorite topics to talk about because people think it has to take a lot of time to do it. And it really doesn't. You just have to just know what you want to do. And so um, I bought my first house just as my primary residence in 2015. Um, I did it through a government loan, first time home buyer loan. And by the time that interest rates had changed, I was able to refinance that into conventional loan. When I refinanced, I did a cash out refi and I pulled that money out. And at the time I didn't know what I was going to do with it, but I put it in a money market to start earning some higher interest on it. And every month I just started contributing to that and thought, okay, this money's going to be here someday or when I really need it. I don't know what it's going to be, but it's going to grow faster. So I started doing that. And then in 2021, uh, my husband and I were like, okay, let's, let's start investing. And so that's when we started our first investment journey. Um, first property I bought was a duplex with the money I had from the cash out refi in order to do it. And all it started was, is I knew I wanted to duplex that way. If one side we didn't have a tenant, then I was still having some sort of income coming on the other side. And so I would just go talk to our agents all the time saying, Hey, if you have a, ever have a duplex that you want to come up, I can't spend a lot of money, but if you have something, let me know. Kid you not. Uh, two weeks later, my broker was walking down the hallway on the phone call with a client saying, Oh, you have a duplex to sell. And I ran out there, popped my head out and said, excuse <laughs> me, what? Um, and so that's how it got started. But in the meantime, before we took the first step, I was asking so many of our agents questions about investing because so many of our agents invest here. Mm. And it came to the point that one of the agents said, if you ask me one more question, but you don't take action on it, you can no longer ask me questions. Wow. And I was like, Ooh, how many times do we say that to our agents, you know, in that sort of yeah. way? And I'm like, Ooh, that feels so. So that helped me get the push. So then bought the first property and we still have it today. Um, and then we bought a fourplex and some single family homes. And so right now we have 20 doors that um, we have. We self-manage all of them. Um, our biggest is long-term invest. Long-term holds is what we have, but we do have some midterm rentals and those are becoming um, really our niche in that side. And midterm is really housing for like uh, traveling nurses or for right now we have a housing shortage in our market. So we furnish the property and people are needing a midterm housing before they buy their next. And so they're able to stay in that um, and you get a higher rent for it, but um, everything's included kind of like an Airbnb, just not a lot of restrictions and a longer time frame. Um, so we have that right now and it's, it's been awesome. It's so cool. And again, it's the, you buy the first property, but then as you're tracking your net worth, you're able to see it multiply and you're looking back and going, wow, that one chance and that change of buying that property has made this kind of impact. That's huge. And so um, looking back, I wish more people would have told me about real estate investing in college. And when I first bought my house and I would have tried to get a duplex or a fourplex yeah. so I could have, and really just up my game, but um, 
started out just with single family and still have that. And it's never a bad time to buy real estate. <laughs> so, and I love that. And, and it's so true, right? Um, on both sides, right? It's never a bad time. And you always wish that someone told you about it earlier, um, <laughs> which says something about it's never a bad time, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, okay, so how do you feel like uh, if, if someone's sitting here listening, going like, duh, like I, I, I want to invest, um, but I'm not sure I can afford it or I, like I can't afford it, right? Like what advice would you give to someone in that situation? What I always tell our agents and even our leadership team is if you find a property that is a good deal, um, and you need to talk with your agents first about that are investors of what they classify as a deal. Because um, mm. sometimes you see on the market, people are saying it's a deal and it really isn't. It, the numbers make sense. But if you find a property, you will always be able to find money in your market for someone mm. that's willing to partner with you. So if we found a property, um, I would go to an investor and I would say, hey, I found this property or I'm looking to buy. Are you willing to partner with me on it? And what does that look like? I don't have a lot of cash, but I want to learn and I'm willing to do the sweat equity part of it. What does that look like? And so you could start having those conversations. Or if you have the cash and you just don't know what the next step is going to be, talk to an agent in your market center that is investing and in what that looks like or what your options are. Um, the biggest thing I start, took for me was realizing that I could refinance and do a cash out refi. And when I did that, I, at that time, lowered my interest rate, removed the additional payment since it was from a government to a conventional loan. And I just put that money aside, but I kept contributing to it. Mm. And when I my car, I continue to pay a car payment to this account because I didn't want to change my lifestyle, even though I paid things off. Mm. And so looking at it that way, it just, Recognize where you are, have a game plan, but talk to somebody that's an investor and they can help walk you through it. Um, because for investors, it's like the funnest thing to talk about is that you get to help change somebody's like legacy in their life by showing them the value of purchasing real estate and what it can do for them and also their family. I love that. Awesome. Well, uh, I appreciate you, you know, giving us that, that bonus. Um, and yeah, this has been really fun. Uh, I feel like I've learned a lot just talking to you and how you see opportunity, how you've, you know, identified your goals and created a growth plan to get there. Um, so thank you so much for your time, Rachel, and uh, so appreciate you um, and everything that you contribute to this community. And um, yeah, thanks again. Thank you so much for the opportunity. It's been really fun. Thank you for tuning in to this month's episode. We hope and trust you learned something today. If you liked what you saw, be sure to like and subscribe so you can stay up to date with all of our latest content.